How's it going, everybody? We are back. It is another edition of NFL Friday on this Thursday, September 17th. Week one in the rearview mirror. We talk about week two, a lot to get to, and a great show. Alongside in person this time, Chris Baccia, Nick DeLuca here. Chris, good to see you again. It's at least a little bit more normal this way. Yeah, I... I uh... It's actually a bit shocking to be here and uh, be in front of a microphone uh, with the headphones on, the whole apparatus, and we are on the campus of Rose Hill, and we are talking football. The NFL Friday podcast is back, and I have to tell you, it feels a lot more real um, than the virtual format, and I think the NFL Friday podcast thrives um, when the Jets and Giants are both (laughs) looking down, and we have a lot to complain about it feels like um, we have a long record of doing that, and I, I think this show won't aberrate from that theme. There is certainly plenty to complain about. A pretty <laughs> embarrassing opening loss for the Jets in Buffalo. A Monday night setback for the Giants against the Steelers as well. Tom Brady's suspect in his debut in Tampa Bay against New Orleans. And then we will also look ahead to the Jets 49ers. The Jets home opener at the Meadowlands and then the Giants Bears in Chicago. Money Mitch Trubisky coming off hot. A huge come from behind win against the Detroit Lions in week one. So we'll get to all that and some more, some pick em. But Chris, there is nowhere else to start than the abomination that was the New York Jets in week one. <laughs> I personally loved it as a Buffalo Bills fan. I was a little upset actually watching that game because that game could have been so much worse. The Bills left the Jets in that game so much longer than they needed to, but there's just not much of anything that is positive to take away from a week one where I think the most concerning thing for me from a Jets perspective is Sam Darnold did not look good at all. He really struggled. You can deal with the offensive line not looking great or some suspect defense with trading away Jamal Adams and a lot of moving parts there. But when you get down to the nitty-gritty of the guy that the Jets have invested so much in in Sam Darnold and to see him perform that way, to me, that's the most concerning thing. But the thing is, all those side you know, problems completely come down on the quarterback. You you can't have a conversation about the quarterback looking weak, which he did, without having a conversation about how the entire supporting cast is weak. And it's a tired narrative. I don't know how long I can play defense for Sam Darnold, because you're absolutely right. The guy has got to step up at one point or another. He loses his running back now. The offensive line that was you know, so talked about the idea that the Jets went out and added depth to this offensive line. It did not look any better than the offensive line of old. So the point is that besides Jamison Crowder, who, by the way, is now dealing with a hamstring himself, uh, there's there's nothing around it. It just becomes really hard to evaluate Sam Darnold. And I'm always the one to throw stones at the head coach, and that's Adam Gase. And I've been very clear about that the first two weeks we've run the podcast. But I don't know how much longer I can go with that narrative this season because at one point or another, Sam Darnold's going to have to step up himself. You're already seeing tweets about Trevor Lawrence. Um, I don't want to think about that. And and, and for transparency's sake, I'm a Jet fan. You're the Bills fan, so you're the happy guy this week. (laughs) I don't want to think about Trevor Lawrence. I do not want to press the reset button with a new quarterback because you drafted this guy third overall. uh, And, you know, this was the guy. You went out, you got 
Adam Gase, the supposed quarterback whisperer, they said. I mean, he's not. He just isn't. He just is not one of those. He's not a quarterback whisperer. Uh, it's the last word that should be attributed to the guy. And but but to wrap up the point about everything else, all of the the leaking holes of the New York Jets, they all affect Sam Darnold. So I don't know that you can have one conversation without having the other. No, I agree with that sentiment. Darnold, 21 to 35, 215 yards, a touchdown and an interception, a QBR of 19.3. That's a pretty ugly stat there. And it's difficult because this is something that I've talked about a lot with Josh Allen as well because it seems for him that he has been able to progress when the talent around him has gotten better. This is the best supporting cast that he has had in any game of his NFL career. And he had the best game of his NFL career last Sunday, 33 of 46, 312, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He, he, I thought, was really impressive on the Bills' side, at least from where he was coming from and to see him develop. And I think that it is impossible to have this conversation without talking about the organizational structure because I've talked to a number of people where the consensus now seems to be that Josh Allen is ahead of Sam Darnold based upon what we saw last week. But it's become an interesting point where, where you sit there and say, well, would Sam Darnold still be in this same position I don't think anybody disputes that the Bills are a better run organization than the Jets right now. Would Sam Darnold be where he is if he was drafted by the Bills? Or would Josh Allen be where he is right now if he were drafted by the Jets? And it is impossible to have the discussion, you know, absent of those two things. And there is there are excuses. There are mitigating factors here where Sam Darnold doesn't have any receivers. And we talk about the one touchdown to Jamison Crowder, who I thought is their only really serviceable guy with Mims not available in week one. I mean, that's a that's a five yard out route that if Tremaine Edmonds makes a tackle, right. the, the day looks a lot different. It's and one play. It was right. One, it's, it's, it's one play. It's one play, and then if the Bills make a few field goals as well, you're talking about a score that was really closer to 33-10, to 10, <laughs> even 33-3 to, to three with the way uh, that the Jets scored that garbage time touchdown as well. So it was just really overall a disappointing situation. And one of the things that I've been, been saying is just – I was never a huge fan of Sam Darnold coming out of the draft. I don't want to go into the receipts. And I wasn't a huge fan of Josh Allen, quite frankly, coming out of the draft as well. He has really sort of surprised me in just understanding how he plays and his ability to develop and also knowing that he has gotten better with better talent around him. And I think that that goes for a lot of the players. But one of the things that strikes me about Darnold is that you sit there and say, I just, I don't know that there's anything that he does that is spectacular. Hmm. You think about really the, the elite of the elite quarterbacks and the guys who have even had success recently. Go to Lamar Jackson. Let's go to his draft class first. Lamar Jackson is as an exceptional an athlete at the quarterback position as we've seen in a long time. He's got good touch on a deep ball. There are certainly things you can point to that he does that are exceptional. You take a look at Josh Allen. He's got exceptional athleticism. He's got an exceptionally strong arm. There are tools to work with that make him the player that he is. You talk about the two quarterbacks who have really struggled, well, three, because Josh Rosen is in a different class all by himself, but the two quarterbacks who have remained with their teams and really struggled coming out of that draft class, is there anything exceptional that Sam Darnold and I'll group Baker Mayfield in here yeah. as well, in which Josh Rosen as well, exactly, in which was a disastrous Week One for the Cleveland Browns against the Baltimore Ravens? 
those guys just don't do anything that jumps off the page that you sit there and say, wow, this is a guy who can really become and develop into an elite of the elite quarterback. I just don't know that it's there for Darnold or for Mayfield. You thought maybe for Mayfield it was the, that leadership quality and his ability. But, but Mayfield and Darnold don't win with the arm strength. They don't win with the accuracy. They don't win with the ment- mental game in front of reading defenses the way even a guy like Peyton Manning did way back when in his career right, right, when you're talking about diminished arm strength at the end of it in Denver. So it's just, I think that's the most frustrating part or the most worrisome part from a Jets perspective that I, I just don't know that they do anything that's special. And I think when you look at quarterbacks around the league, they're just a lot of special talents. Aaron Rodgers is accurate if you've seen that, that rocket arm. Russell Wilson, the mobility and the accuracy. Sam Darnold just doesn't have that in that same way, and I think that that's the most concerning thing. And Maybe you're hoping that you can get a coach who can come in and develop it, but Adam Gase is certainly not that guy. Well, look, you know, I hear you on exceptional talent. I don't think it's a talent problem for Sam. I mean, you look at quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo. What does he do that's exceptional? Jared Goff, what does he do that's exceptional? I mean, that's a Rams team that went to the Super Bowl. That's a that's a 49ers team that won He's going to have to be better than Jared Goff was in L.A. for this team to have success, though. That's the other and, part of it. And, and I'm, no, I'm, I'm no fan of Jared Goff. I don't think he's all that good, but I know that he's, he's led teams to, you know, he's led an NFC championship team. So I don't know that Sam needs to be able to make it fly like the way Russell Wilson can. I don't know that he does. But I think he's very balanced. I do think he can move around. I do think he's an athlete, and I do think that he's strong. Um, I, I don't know that he's got the deep pass, but the idea is that he should be able to be an accurate quarterback. When you don't have the X's and O's to go around, when, you, know, when, you know, I don't think Peyton Manning entered the league and was the genius that he became. I don't think Tom Brady entered the league and was the genius that he became. That, that's something that you have, to, you have to develop. And I don't think that there's a supporting cast for Sam to develop that. Um, you, know, you bring up a very interesting hypothetical about if you were to switch places of Josh Allen and Sam Darnold. And I'm of the belief that Sam Darnold would have massive success in Buffalo. I, I, I don't think that, you know, they have a different talent. They're a different type of quarterback. There's no question about that. But I think Sam Darnold would have a lot of success in a Bills offense and I'll tell you, if we're looking at receipts going back into that draft class, I mean, I read it completely wrong. I think everybody did because no one thought Lamar Jackson was going to be the best quarterback out of that draft class. People did, you know, think it would Baker or Sam were probably the two, uh, would have been the two uh, favorites there. And they were the first two off the board. And right now, they're the two that look the worst, although Josh Rosen is was also drafted – uh, he was drafted behind Allen. Behind Allen, Allen at five. number 10 uh, before Lamar Jackson. Right. But, you know, uh, these, these – but just to, to go back to my earlier point, which is that I don't know how much longer I can keep making excuses for Sam Darnold. I'm on the podcast today with the agenda to do it because I really believe in him. Um, I've seen him make good plays. I've seen him make really good plays. It's not a Mark Sanchez situation. It's not a Geno Smith situation. Those were two Jet quarterbacks who I saw very few good plays out of them. I could count them on one hand. But there's a real uh, there's a real talent in Sam Darnold. It's just about can this team get the best of it? And, and there's absolutely nothing that would inspire me to say yes right now. I mean, it looks to be. And, and there's always the quick week one reactions and tides change and currents change. But 
after week one, you couldn't really be more pessimistic about the New York Jets than, than I am. So there has to be one follow-up here, and that is mm-hmm. how long do you think Adam Gase lasts this season? Well, I, I think he's on a clock. I, I, think, I think you have to have a tight leash. Last year, you got off to the abysmal start, and he kept his job by virtue of being a first-year head coach. It's sort of a courtesy. Um, let him get a full year under his belt. And look, he turned it around. He finished the year 7-9. and nine. They ran into a bunch of bad teams, and they won. But just because those teams were bad doesn't take it away from them. They also had a pitiful loss to the Cincinnati Bengals late last year. Um, it was a bad year. It was worse than 7-9 and nine made it look. But they were 7-9. and nine. It's hard to justify firing a first-year man when he goes 7-9. and nine. If the Jets start off 0-4, I mean, it's got to be a quick hook. It's got to be a quick hook. You got to you got to start the culture change at an early point, not wait until the end of the season. The Jets culture is a broken thing. It's a damaged thing. You've had a head coach who has clashed with with the exception of Sam Darnold, all of the stars on the team, Le'Veon Bell, Jamal Adams, now the former Jet. Um it, it, the locker room, you know, just it's crying out for leadership. It's crying out for some sort of change. It's only one game, so you know I can't contend that it's time to do that. But if we're having the same conversation in a couple of weeks, it, it's got to be time. It's got to be time for him to leave. It's amazing that you have Christopher Johnson come out today too right. and call him an offensive guru, offensive genius, <laughs> when you just see no evidence of that whatsoever. I mean, it's it's just not there and. You talk about Darnold's lack of progression, but also getting into what happened to Le'Veon Bell, who just right. was fantastic in Pittsburgh, one of the best. And I get he took a year off, but it's just like, where is Le'Veon Bell? He has done next to nothing for this Jets offense as well, and he's a dude who should be getting the football all the time with the lack of weapons that they have on the outside. So it's just... Curious utilization, and curious is a nice way to put it, and it just does not seem like the Jets are going to have a ton of hope going forward until they make a change at the head coaching position. I, I like where Joe Douglas has things headed, but they, they got to figure stuff out because it's just it, the clock is ticking, and the clock is ticking for Sam Darnold as well, and to answer one of the points that you made earlier too, he better progress quickly because if he's a guy who is Jared Goff, the, the time is running out for them to really put an extensive supporting cast around him as his rookie contract comes to an expiration. So we'll leave the dumpster fire that is the New York <laughs> Jets there for a moment and transition to Big Blue. Disappointing start in year two for Daniel Jones. They lose 26-16 on Monday Night Football to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Stat line not fantastic for Daniel Jones. I thought he played perhaps a little bit better than maybe people were giving him credit for. It's very rare that you lose the battle on the line of scrimmage the way the Giants did so horribly with Saquon Barkley taking it 15 carries for only six yards. Daniel Jones outran Saquon Barkley on Monday night, which is pretty significant, right? Four carries for 22 for Daniel Jones. But when you lose the line of scrimmage in that way, particularly in the running game, it is not Often that games are even close. Hmm. Yes, they were helped by a muffed punt. They weren't able to capitalize, come away with a field goal instead of a touchdown, a crushing red zone interception where Daniel Jones gets hit on the arm to turn that ball over. Not sure exactly where he was going with that ball. Should have just thrown it away. Maybe could have made that decision a split second earlier, but I won't necessarily slam him for that either when you're 
offensive line isn't doing you a lot of service and the ball gets tipped when you're releasing it. So I thought things weren't awful in Joe Judge's debut as head coach, but certainly a lot of room for improvement, and it's going to be difficult when you're going against Pittsburgh, a team that's been together for a long time, strong head coach, really good defense, and Ben Roethlisberger back doing enough as sort of the game manager and improved Duck Hodges from what we saw <laughs> last year and Mason Rudolph as well. They've got some semblance of an offense where now it's like, okay, they can score 26 points, and when they do that, they're going to be really tough to beat because of how good that defense is. When they score 26 points, they're not going to lose. I mean, maybe a couple, but this is a team that's obviously built on the defense. The run stop is one of the best, if not the best, in football. So if you're able to suppress Saquon Barkley, I don't know how the Giants win. You know, And, and that's what they were able to do. If you can't get Saquon Barkley going, you're not going to win if you're the Giants. So the fact that they salvaged... 16 points, and I know it's not a lot, but they did show flashes. And you, you, you saw out of, the, out of the gate of the second half, they, they realized that they couldn't be a run-first offense, which is what they are. But I was actually impressed by Jason Garrett being, being able to manage somewhat of a pass-first offense in a game where the run game just really wasn't working. I, I said at the time when, when the, something's not working for the Jets game, the run game's not working, for instance, they just keep going. <laughs> they keep handing the ball. It, it's a bizarre, it's a, we can't zig and zag, we can't improvise here. But I saw the Giants do that. I saw them entrust Daniel Jones, and he made one very, you know, fateful error at the goal line, intercepted at the goal line. That's bad. That's bad. But, but, you know, that, that was a mistake that you saw where it came from. You saw massive pressure on him. You saw him trying to get rid of that ball, and it's excusable to me. This isn't a giant team that, that anyone should be expecting to go to the playoffs. But, and this is where, again, the Darnold-Jones uh, comparison comes back, and, and the two will, will always be tied to one another, is that being one year apart is everything. I mean, that's a huge year. There's a lot more patience for a Daniel Jones making an interception like that. Sam Donald can't make an interception like that without, you know, really drawing groans. But, but what I saw on that drive more than I saw the interception was the Giants drive 60 or 70 yards uh, without Saquon Barkley, and that's an accomplishment. So they stood up against one of the best defenses in all of football on Monday Night Football. And by the way, Big Ben does not lose on Monday Night Football, and they showed me something. They showed me something. Daniel Jones, 26 of 41, 279, two touchdowns and two interceptions, was sacked three times for loss of 17 yards, a QBR of just above average at 51.9. And Saquon Barkley getting absolutely shut down with absolutely no room is something that was striking and a great job by the Steelers' defense to do that. I like Daniel Jones, and... I'll pose this question to you in a moment about who you'd take right now, whether it be Sam Darnold or Daniel Jones right now. I don't know where the bias is going to come, but <laughs> it's just, it was interesting to me because of the way he stood in there. And I thought there, the, the Giants pass protection, oddly enough, and this was one of the weirdest things to me in watching that game is I, not that their pass protection was good, but I didn't think it was bad. So to see them just unable to move the line of scrimmage and run the ball at all, was so curious because I thought Daniel Jones was protected at times. Of course he gets hit, and of course he's been, he was sacked, but it was just sort of a weird mix of things where they just couldn't do anything in the running game but were able to hold up enough in the passing game. The, the one touchdown, the long touchdown that he threw to Darius Slayton mm. on the 41-yard pass, I thought was 
pretty remarkable. Yeah, he's gorgeous. Uh, to, to keep that, that play alive and, and to find him downfield and to make that throw in between two defenders who were closing in, I thought that was one of the best throws that you've seen, you're going to see, from Daniel Jones and a young quarterback. That was, that was incredible, and I thought it was a superb throw. And that, I think, shows you why the Giants are so high on Daniel Jones and why I don't think it's unreasonable to think that he can develop into something special as the Giants go forward. But it's going to take some improved weapons uh, in, in playing and utilizing those weapons with an offensive line that needs to allow them to do that. I like a lot of the Giants receivers, but again, uh, against Pittsburgh, it's going to be more of a struggle. So we'll, we'll see if they can progress. So before we transition, i got to ask you the question, mm. is it Daniel Jones or is it Sam Darnold? Well, it's an impossible comparison. You know, I, this, this is going to be the year where you may have an answer on a Daniel Jones. To me, uh, I, I think he could have a big year. And I think that's all you're really looking at when you're looking at the Giants is you're looking at Daniel Jones because – and, and the point about the Giants is that they have no defense. They've got no defense. I mean, you know, Benny Snell run for over 100 yards on you. That's going to be that. That's where the timeline is a little messed up for them, and why they won't be good this year, even if Daniel Jones takes the big step, because the defense just hasn't caught up. But the idea is that if he has a big year, and I'll get to your question, <laughs> I'm avoiding it a little bit. <laughs> but if he has a big year. Then you're going to look to build the defense, and then you're going to look for a Giants resurgence next year. That's at least the plan, if I could get into David Gettleman's head. To answer your question, uh, it's impossible. I, I, I don't know what he looks like in a Jet uniform. Um, I'm, I'm sticking with my man, Sam. I'm going to stick with wow. him. Wow. <laughs> i stick with him. Wow. Because uh, I, I don't know that Daniel Jones has any more success as a Jet than Sam Donald has. I really don't. I, I really don't. Uh, I, I just believe well, football, that's fair. football has an outsized amount of influence from a coaching staff, from a system. I mean, it is everything. It can't be said enough. It can't be emphasized enough that the system that you come up in, the cast that they put around you, is everything for a quarterback. The Jets knew it. Everybody knows that. that that's, not, that's not hard to know. But they still managed to mess up, you know, the last – the prior to Joe Douglas, the two general managers before that, and obviously the narrative on Joe Douglas is right now incomplete. But you didn't give him the head coach that he deserved, and you didn't build up an offensive line for him. So I can go on forever. But to answer the question, uh, I, I don't know that I'd make that deal. I don't know that I'd make that trade. No, that's fair. And the, and the issue I think maybe broader is that how successful would Russell Wilson be with the Jets right now? Or Aaron Rodgers, or you can pick yeah. whatever quarterback you want. I think it may be sort of a broader organizational issue as opposed to just it simply being Sam Darnold. And so, you always hear that said. I mean, it's it's sort of an age-old football question. I, do I, I think I think when you talk about a Wilson and a, uh, a Rodgers, you're talking about generational talent. I, I think it crosses into a different plane, the argument. But you always hear it said about Tom Brady about, you know, how would Tom Brady fare in, say, Tampa Bay? Well, actually, now we can test that out, right? And we can see he leaves the New England system in which he was so comfortable. And I think it's actually a great test for the question about that, that sort of balance between system and, you know, pure quarterback talent. Well, you mentioned him, so let's get to Tom yeah. Brady and those Tampa Bay Buccaneers that suffered a difficult week one loss, 34-23, at the hands 
of the New Orleans Saints last Sunday, the Fox game of the week, and Tom Brady was, well, eh, average. He was okay. 23-36, 239 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, also threw a pick six. He has thrown a pick six in three consecutive games, mm. not something that we're used to from the GOAT making his debut in Tampa Bay. Bruce Arians, a little bit critical of him after the game. Some difficulty getting on the same page with some of his receivers. Again, a shortened offseason, limited training camp, and it's going to be difficult for those teams that are coming together right now who haven't been established and, and haven't had time to work with each other in the same way. Brady did not seem to be on the same page with Mike Evans, which I think is a big deal. Chris Godwin also gets injured in that game, so the weapons that Brady was desperately needing are not 100% in sync or getting hurt. So overall, your impressions of Tom Brady's debut in Tampa Bay? The the pick over the middle of the field was terrible, um, really bad. Jameis Winston-like in Tampa Bay. It was almost eerie. Um, but I, I, I think it's a good point about the system thing and how teams with the established system, whether that's a Seahawks or a Steelers, or a Patriots, although they bring in a new quarterback, maybe at maybe have an edge this year and throw the Saints in the mix there. They're about as established as you can be, although Michael Thomas goes down, but it should only be a week, it appears. But the Saints are, are a dominant team. I picked them to win that division. Um, I you know, I, I, I think uh there's there's certainly a lot more to see from Tampa Bay, but just a really average outing and, and actually a game that I kind of flagged as the game of the week and it just didn't turn out that way, Nick. It, it was just sort of a snooze fest. So to me, one of the most interesting things in this game was that Bruce Arians and the Buccaneers organization decided that they wanted to move on from Jameis Winston, who did lead the NFL in touchdown passes last year because he was turning the ball over too often. Mm. And if you look at the box score for this game this past Sunday – Tampa Bay outgained the Saints 310 to 271. So they outgained them. The offense was a little bit more efficient. I get it. There was some garbage time stuff there, too, where the Saints had that game pretty well locked up in the fourth quarter. But you're talking about a guy who was brought in to try and not turn the ball over, and yet the Buccaneers are minus three in the turnover differential. So. I'll tell you this, maybe the premise is, and, and, and we've talked about this the last time we were on this show, about the decline of Tom Brady. He may not be that same guy that we've seen all those years. And by the way, who can blame him because he's 43 <laughs> years old and you don't continue. We've never seen this. You don't continue right. to be this good for this long. But for me, the biggest takeaway is that Tom Brady has to stop gift wrapping takeaways because they can't turn the ball over. This was the whole problem with James Winston. And, and Bruce Arians thought, okay, we're bringing in a dude who not only is an upgrade as, as the greatest quarterback of all time, even in the twilight of his career, but is also going to understand defenses, be smart with the football, and give us chances to win by not turning the football over. And I get it. You don't want to overreact, and it's a new offense, and all the other factors that go into being a new team in this week one NFL environment. But I got to tell you, it's concerning to see Tom Brady turn the football over and continue to do that because more than anything else that's what Tampa Bay thought they were getting with Brady by getting rid of Winston we're getting a dude who knows how to take care of the football and to see them turn the ball over three times Brady to throw two interceptions and and give the Saints six points on a pick six that's not what Bruce Arians signed up for I'm not sure I'm a huge fan of him 
being so critical of Brady and the media, I don't love that, but that is his style, and yeah. I think that I'm confident that they went over that before any of this stuff happened, that there was an understanding about this is the way that, that I, I coach and this is the way that I like to be criticized as Tom Brady, and that if this was really an issue, Brady wouldn't have ended up in Tampa to begin with. So I'm not too worried about that situation, but he's there to not turn the football over, and to see him do that I think is, is concerning for the Buccaneers. And I think it's pretty clear, even even week one, I know it's early, but we see who rules the NFC South right now, and it's the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, I think you're exactly right on the point about Tom Brady having to protect the football because he's not going to light it up. You know, he, he is, he's not going to be flashy. It's, it's not how he built this success. It's not how he became the greatest quarterback of all time. It, it's just not. So he can't do it. Um, on the Arians point, Bruce Arians has a big mouth. It's sort of the opposite of a Bill Belichick. And I agree that, you know, I, I think Tom Brady picked his coach. I think Tom Brady absolutely picked his destination. And it's true that Bruce Arians develops quarterbacks. Um, you know, at a, at a, you know, he, he's got a great record of developing quarterbacks, at least with Andrew Luck. Um, ben Roethlisberger, too. Ben Roethlisberger. So that, that's a guy that I think Tom Brady handpicked. And, He's, he's clearly out there to prove something to me. I mean, he, he, he had a sort of a chance to walk away from the league and, and go out. Nobody would have disputed that he was the greatest to ever do it with six Super Bowl rings. But, you know, I, now he, he's at a point where he, he, he's one of those older players who clearly, and we've seen plenty of examples of this, who just wants to show that he's still kicking, that he's still got something going. Way too early to judge and say that he shouldn't be doing that. He's got a cast in Tampa Bay that, should be good. They should be a good team. And you've got expanded playoffs. They should go to the playoffs. Um, but it's no coincidence. It's no. It's not a matter of uh, – it was very intentional, put it this way, um, that Bill Belichick uh, decided he was ready for a new quarterback in New England. That, that decision meant something. And we talk about this all the time, about the foresight that Belichick has had yes. in years past, about getting rid of players sooner rather than later when he's not so sure they have it anymore. I think one right of our, before they, right before they, one of our best examples uh, recently, Stephen Goskowski, who <laughs> yeah. had a difficult night on Monday night as well. Although credit to him, he made the field goal when it mattered most, and probably saved his job actually. Because yeah. uh, even without that opportunity, had Tennessee punched it into the end zone, they might have said, "Ah, we might move on." But he makes the game-winning kick. He's still got to lose his so, job, though. So he salvages. I think he's going to keep it at least for this week. We'll see. I mean, I don't know. Again, kickers, you can can move a little bit uh, more quickly on, but it, it's it's Thursday, Friday. I think they're going to stick with him at right. least for this week to see where things go. He does have the Hall of Fame track record. But anyway, Belichick getting rid of him, he knew when to do that. He's been trying to get rid of Brady for a few years now, and, and he w- was met with some resistance from ownership, and credit to Tom Brady for hanging on and being as good and running that team the way he was able to do for even the last few years. But we'll see how it goes. I still think that Tampa Bay can be a playoff team, can be a wild card team. But week one, I think, was was pretty difficult for them. That said, again, when you play, I, I don't think you're crazy if you're going to sit there and pick the, the Saints to win the NFC, NFC in general, let alone the right. NFC South. So they're playing one of the better teams in that entire conference. So that's always difficult on the road. Granted, it still didn't look good, and if Brady's going to continue to turn the football over, that's also problematic. So we'll see going forward. I think the, the Bucks 
we'll figure it out and be a playoff team. But initial reaction there is that it was a bit concerning out of Tom Brady in his Tampa Bay Bucks debut. Let's move on to week two, and we've got a whole number of games, and we'll get into our pick'em segment here as one of our traditions here on NFL Friday. We'll get the music here going. Let's let's oh, hear wow. it. Let's hear it. Wow. It sounds good. There it is. Okay. So, we'll go through a rundown of each game, and we'll pick who's going to win. And if you're listening, you know who's going to win. You don't even have to watch the games on Sunday. Okay. <laughs> so, Mr. Baccio, let's start with Bengals and Browns. Thursday night football in Cleveland. All right. Bengals, Browns in Cleveland. I'm winging this whole thing. I usually have much better results that way. I am going to take... The Browns, I think they bounced back from a terrible week one, although all eyes on Joe Burrow tonight, that's why I'm tuning in. But for some reason, my gut's telling me the Cleveland Browns are just going to kick it into gear. I don't know. I think the Browns are too talented to lose this game. That said, Cincinnati, as crazy as it sounds, is, is better coached. I don't know. This is tough. I'm going to go with the upset. I'm picking the Bengals to beat the Browns, who looked awful in week awful. one. I think that's going to continue. Granted, Give me the Bengals, Joe Burrow. Go Tigers. All right, let's go to Giants and the Bears. Soldier Field in Chicago, Illinois. Easy for me to say. Giants trying to get their first victory of the season. Money Mitch with some momentum after a fourth quarter comeback. Look, these Bears uh, on defense, they could be good. They could stifle the Giants the same way Pittsburgh did. That would be their only chance of winning because I actually think the Giants are a better team. I think Mitch Trubisky stinks, although he looked pretty good in week one, but I think he's going to come back to the mean. I think the Giants are going to pick up a Week 2 win. I agree with you. I'm not a huge fan of the Bears. They get lucky to escape Week 1 with a win against the atrocity that is the Detroit Lions. So give me the Giants, Daniel Jones. They get Saquon Barkley going the way they were not against a much better defense in Pittsburgh. On to Falcons and Cowboys from AT&T Stadium in Dallas. Uh, This is a tough one because... I think both of these teams are pretty good, both coming off some difficult week one losses. I skipped you here, but I'm going to go with – this is tough. I'm going to go with Atlanta because I like Matt Ryan on the road. I think he'll be able to handle the storm. you got no fans, so it's, it's going to be a little bit of an easier environment for him. And I just – I'm not a huge fan of Dallas. They seem to be reeling right now. Yeah, Dallas four-point favorites. I mean, I actually think uh, Atlanta's going to win this game as well. I, I... – Cowboys, they did not impress me so much in week one. They're supposed to be better than they are, but I've been saying that for so long. Maybe they're just not that good. I think the Falcons have a lot of talent. They have Julio Jones. They even have Calvin Ridley, who's pretty good. The Falcons will beat the Cowboys. I agree with you. So let's move forward. We'll go Lions and Packers here from Lambeau Field. Packers off an impressive week one win over the Minnesota Vikings on the road. The Lions, a crushing defeat in which they choked away uh, a pretty big lead against the Bears. Uh, Who you got? Packers-Lions. Give me the Packers. Uh, It's a no-brainer. I think uh, the Packers, you know, the Lions, they look pretty good in week one. They should have won that game. They should have won that game if uh, Swift doesn't drop that ball. So I think this will be a good one, but uh, Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay just too good. I agree with you. There's no way that Aaron Rodgers is losing this game at home. The Lions, as I just said, are an atrocity, and I don't think it's going to get any better. So give me the Packers over the Lions. And that one, I think Green Bay covers the spread, too. It's Green Bay minus six. Like it, I love it on that pick. So let's go to the AFC South Jags and Titans. Jaguars, a surprise week one winner 
in a game against the Indianapolis Colts. The Titans narrowly escape with a win against Denver. Titans and Jags from Nissan Stadium in Tennessee. Yeah, the Titans looked awful on Monday Night Football. It was just a bad game all around. But the Jaguars, I have to stick to my gut, which is that they were a fluke week one win. I think the Titans will win this game. I'm going to agree with you there because I don't think the Jaguars are very good. And it was a difficult week one <laughs> performance for the Colts because you never want to see that uh, with, with some of the injuries that they sustained. And Phillip Rivers wasn't fantastic. But uh, I can't pick against the Titans here. I don't think the Jags are that good. Well, give me the Titans uh, to beat the Jaguars. All right, Colts and Vikings from Lucas Oil Stadium. In Indy, Colts, as we just got to, a very disappointing week one loss, but an equally disappointing week one loss for the Vikings, who they play, who you got. Vikings, Colts, I, I like Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. Uh, I like Dalvin Cook, got in the end zone twice last week. Um, I don't think this Colts team is very good. I mean, week one impression from them, much worse than my impression from the Vikings. So give me Cousins and the, and, and the Vikings. I'm going to have to disagree with you here. I like Indy to bounce back after a rough week, week one loss. I think Jonathan Taylor is going to get well, get well and get involved, and I like Indy. Tough situation for the Vikings with their defense struggling, so I think Indy can make some hay and win this game. All right, a game that's near and dear to my heart. Let's go Bills-Dolphins from Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. Bills are favored by five and a half. You know who, you know who I like. Who do you like, Chris? I might upset you here. I, I, I can't believe Ryan Fitzpatrick is still in the league. I, I just I can't pick Fitzpatrick. I can't pick the Dolphins. Much as it hurts me, I think the Bills might be better than New England this year, although it's not what I said two weeks ago. But this will be this will show us a little bit more. Bills, two week one, week two, easy opponents. I don't know that we know so much yet, but they will beat the Miami Dolphins. I do too, because they are easy week one and week two opponents. That's the struggle, because the schedule isn't easy for the Dolphins or the Jets, because they can't play themselves, so that's difficult. <laughs> but give me the Bills over the Dolphins. I like Josh Allen. He always plays well against the Dolphins, particularly in Miami, so I think he'll get it done once again. Now a matchup near and dear to your heart, Mr. Baggia. Mm. 49ers-Jets from MetLife Stadium, the home opener for the Jets, and starting running back Frank Gore. <laughs> Frank Gore, another guy who somehow is still kicking. I, you know, I, I think San Francisco is not as good as the 13 wins they got last year would would indicate. Or was it 14? I think it was 13. 13. But, uh, the Jets aren't going to win this game. There's just I just have to be logical with myself. It could be bad. It could be very bad. But I'm actually closer to thinking that it'll be close and that the 49ers will pull one out here. There's a glimmer of hope because it's always difficult for teams on the West Coast right. to travel East. That said, the Jets are so bad, there's not a chance that the 49ers are going to lose this game. I think San Francisco covers the spread, too, which is always iffy when you're making that, that cross-coast trip. But the, the Jets are so bad, they don't even have Le'Veon Bell. Frank Gore is your starting running back, as I said. There's just there's no way. The, the Niners are still too good. Give me the Niners over the Jets. Rams and Eagles from Lincoln Financial Field, another cross-coast cross trip for a West Coast team coming east. Who you got, Chris? This is an Eagles team that just uh, is so disappointing. They lose to Washington in Week 1. I mean, ever since that Super Bowl, they've got nothing going. The Rams, another NFC team who won an NFC championship. They didn't win the Super Bowl, but another team that's disappointing since they've been there. But I think the Rams, under Sean McVay, I think they have a really good season in the West this year. I think they're far better than the Eagles, and I think they'll win this one. 
This is a tough one for me because I think the Eagles need to bounce back. I think the Rams are a better team, but this time the teams are close enough where it's going to make a difference when you have to travel east. Give me the Eagles bouncing back. They're going to get it together. Week one was terrible for them, but I think they do put it together. Give me the Eagles over the Rams. On to the Broncos and Steelers from Pittsburgh. Steelers really impressive in week one. The Broncos struggled in a game that wasn't well played on Monday Night Football. Uh, who you got, Pittsburgh and Denver? The Broncos looked terrible on Monday Night Football. Uh, the Steelers looked good on Monday Night Football. Um, give me Pittsburgh here, and uh, I think they may uh, they they may blow they may blow the Broncos out. I, I agree with you because I really liked what I saw from Pittsburgh. We got into them a little bit, but that defense is so good, and Drew Locke and that offense struggled. They don't have Philip Lindsay this week, so I, I like. Pittsburgh here because Denver couldn't do much offensively. It's going to be worse when they're playing the Broncos, so give me Pittsburgh. So we've got Carolina and Tampa Bay here from Raymond James Stadium. It is Tom Brady's home debut with the Bucks. Panthers, a difficult week one loss. Their defense is atrocious, and the Bucks trying to get right back on track. This is a Panthers team that may be one of the worst teams in football. I I, I genuinely think that, with the exception of Christian McCaffrey, there's not much to like there. They've got the new head coach. I think Tampa Bay has got to bounce back in a big way. They've got to make a statement. I think they cover this 8.5-point spread, and I think they beat Carolina in the process. I think this game could actually be a little bit closer than that 8.5-point spread. I think the Panthers will may cover. I, I don't want to say will, but I think they may but I do think the Bucks are going to win. There's no way Brady loses to a team that's this bad. But I don't know how good this Tampa Bay offense is with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, some health that's not 100%. So give me the Bucks, but not by not by 8.5, I'll tell you that. All right, 4.05 into the later slate. Washington football team mm. traveling west to take on the Arizona Cardinals. A big week one win for them over San Francisco. I think Washington could be real. This could have been a very legitimate week one win, and I think they could make some noise somehow. Um, But also the Cardinals are pretty good, and I think they're pretty legit with Kyler Murray. I think they're pretty good with DeAndre Hopkins, who caught 15 balls, 150 yards. I gotta go Cardinals here on the West Coast. I agree with you. It's going to be a big advantage for them to stay home, and I think that Washington is, much as they took advantage of an Eagles collapse in that second half, Arizona's too good. I like what I'm seeing from Kyler Murray and from Cliff Kingsbury in that offense. Give me the Cardinals over Washington in the later slate. Chiefs Chargers defending Super Bowl champs off of a long week. The Chargers get lucky with a missed field goal against Cincinnati. I think this one's pretty clear. Uh, You're right. Chiefs Garner, yeah, it's an impossible impossible upset to call. I like calling upsets, but the Chiefs are going to blow away a bad Chargers team. I do, too. Uh, There's just no way. I didn't see a lot from the the Chargers. Tyrod Taylor, who's their starting quarterback again this week, I don't know how long it'll take to get to Justin Herbert, but Tyrod is not a guy that's going to be able to put up points to score with this Kansas City Chiefs offense. No one can stop them as good as the Chargers defense has been at times. 
So I don't like Tyrod Taylor in this matchup. Give me the Chiefs. That one's pretty easy. Now to another interesting matchup. We will go Ravens and Texas from N- Texans from NRG Stadium in Houston. Ravens, a big week one victory over the Browns, who looked abysmal. The Texans get the unfortunate matchup of having to play the Chiefs week one, and now the Ravens week two. I don't know who they upset uh, who <laughs> makes the schedule, but that's what it is. Texans or Ravens? I mean, that's... I feel bad for Houston for that game. They can't beat Baltimore. Baltimore's too good. Baltimore is right up there with Kansas City, and uh, they're going to beat the the Texans. I agree with you. I just the Texans are good, and it's just a difficult draw to open the season. But Baltimore's too good. That defense—they've got a great secondary, and Lamar Jackson is balling right now. Give me the Ravens over the Texans on a Sunday Night Football. Patriots and Seahawks out west. Cam Newton in a prime time in his prime time debut with the New England Patriots was good in week one. Seattle gets a win over Atlanta. That offense looked good as well. The Seahawks looked a lot better. They looked like a lot better of a team, um, but you know New England's got away with that head coach. I'm really tempted to pick uh, the underdog New England Patriots, and I'm just going to go for it. I think Bill Belichick gets something going on this week. He's got the guys ready to go out west. And somehow, they beat the Seattle Seahawks with a lot less talent than the Seahawks have. Fair enough. I don't think you necessarily bet against Bill Belichick. That's obviously never wise, but I don't know. I think the Seahawks are just too talented. That game being at home in Seattle is a big deal to me as well. Pats are still a work in progress, still trying to figure everything out. I think this game will be close, but that continuity for Seattle with a big-time playmaker on defense with Jamal Adams to change that defense and combat what Cam Newton did this past week a little bit better than maybe Miami was able to. So give me the Seahawks at home on Sunday Night Football over the Patriots. On to primetime Monday Night Football, Saints and Raiders as we christen Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. The Las Vegas Raiders get a win over the Carolina Panthers, who we've established are not very good. The Saints beat the Bucks. Who you got, Chris? Yeah, the Raiders look good. Josh Jacobs, three touchdowns. I like him. But the Saints team may be the best team in the National Football Conference right up there with Seattle, who we just talked about. So i I got to go Saints over the Raiders. I don't think it'll be close. I think I do, too. As much as I like the Raiders at times, I love to listen to John Gruden talk, but I don't think that's going to be enough. Sean Payton, Drew Brees have been doing this for a while. It's going to be a struggle for the Raiders. Give me the Saints to open Allegiant Stadium with a win. So there you have it. Those, you don't even need to watch the games now. You've just heard what's going to happen, well, at least when I pick them, because yeah. Chris might have been wrong on a couple where we disagree. But always a pleasure, my man. Great to be yes. back with you, to see you to do this in person for Chris Baccia. I'm Nick DeLuca. This is NFL Friday. Enjoy some Sunday and Monday and Thursday night football as we head into week two, and we'll catch you next week.